All right, hello, welcome everyone to uh, the first episode of Make Your Own Damn Podcast, a podcast where we uh, look at the history of uh, trauma, trauma entertainment, um, and uh, all the wonderful films that they've given us over the years. I am uh, one of your hosts, Lucas Mangum. I'm an author and uh, total dork, love trauma movies, and uh, I've got um, with me Today, uh, my co-host is going to be Jeff Burke. He is also a writer and a huge fan of Troma. How's it going, man? Oh, excellent. Excellent. I'm so excited to start this prog- this project since you uh, first pitched it to me. I am a huge Troma fan and have been since I was a teenager obsessed with fake yep. blood and boobs and movies and not much has changed <laughs> and so trauma has always been like the perfect thing for me yeah definitely it was um around that time for me too i'd say like 15 or 16 uh do you remember what the first trauma movie you saw was yes yes because uh, i was thinking about this i started trauma at kind of the absolute worst place possible which was terror firmer okay now I love Terra Firmer. It's still one of my favorite trauma movies. But in case uh, you know people listening to that are not aware, Terra Firmer is about the filming of a trauma movie. That's a yes. very meta movie, and it references lots of their previous movies. I didn't get all the references, of course, when I first saw it. To me, it was just this really bizarre, really offensive, really just over-the-top movie about the making of a movie and uh because trauma is so uh awesome and how they physically present a lot of their works i it came uh i rented it from uh the video store and this was a vhs um Mm -hmm. and it had on it trailers for probably toxic avenger i want to say like uh campbell the musical and uh, probably a couple others which i was like oh these other movies look interesting and there was this guy, Lloyd Kaufman, uh, like old Jewish guy that's really exuberant about everything in life. And I'm like, oh, this guy seems interesting. And that kind of sent me down like this spiral that, you know, years later, decades later, I'm still here and still a fan of trauma. So what was yours, Lucas? Where, where did you get started with trauma? So for me, it was I was I had a Hollywood video next to me. Um, where I lived and uh, they're the they were the only um, chain that carried a cult classic se- section like a lot of you know mom and pop video stores did but Blockbuster certainly didn't but Hollywood video did and um, I was kind of I had kind of burned through all their horror uh, you know titles that I cared to see and I um, I was kind of entertaining the idea of maybe doing some filmmaking myself, some low budget stuff. And so I kind of just like wandered into the cult section because like there was, um, you know, there's a lot of overlap anyway, you know, between, you know, cult movies and horror movies. Like it seems like people who like one tend to like the other. And I saw a movie called, uh, chopper chicks and zombie town. Um, Oh yeah. Yeah. It's not real. I want to say, it's not very good, and it's not really a proper introduction to trauma, but the title really um, jumped out at me. 
And so I grabbed that. And yeah, it was not the movie itself, but the trailers and stuff that came before it for like all these other trauma movies that made me feel like, oh, okay, like maybe I didn't totally enjoy this movie, but all that there's this whole other thing that uh, I need to kind of dive into. Um, I mean, of course, I'd always been aware of the Toxic Avenger, you know, I mean, that's like kind of one of those iconic things, but I didn't. I wasn't really sure what it was. Like, I just thought it was like this weird. I actually thought it was for kids. Um, and maybe well, you were probably thinking in your brain about the toxic crusaders. Yeah. Which, yeah. which was the, the weird spit off children's property of trauma. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, we should definitely do an episode on that one day because <laughs> the very fact that that exists is confusing. It's just confusing. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely never should have, um, uh, trauma properties around kids is just a weird, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's funny you should say Hollywood video because I first, uh, rented Terra Firmer myself from Hollywood video. Cause as you said, Blockbuster, I don't believe Blockbuster ever carried a trauma movie. Um, no, they might've had like a really cut, um, version of the toxic avenger or something like that you know like a heavily censored version or something yeah because for anyone listening that's not aware trauma i'm sorry uh blockbuster did have a policy back in the day of nothing heavier than r-rated so no nc-17 and no unrated movies and so uh movies would actually get edits that would only appear at blockbuster Mm -hmm. and that they were so uh sensitive over that and Choma being such a small company, never uh, either A, had the finances to create edits just solely for blockbuster distribution, and B, never really had an interest in it since Blood and Boobs is everything that they make their money off of. And <laughs> um, I also worked at Hollywood Video for a few years as a teenager, which was I awesome. And so I had free rentals, and that's how I saw, like, the vast majority of the trauma movies, because, as you said, there was a cult movie section, and for some reason, Hollywood Video had pretty much all of the main trauma titles, yep. if I recall correctly. That was where I saw most of them. Um, and then at, at one point, I just ended up, like, buying the DVDs um, of a lot of them. But uh, now, I have a question. Like, the Terror of Hermer yeah. version that you watched, uh, was it the censored one with, like, all the weird, like, uh, cutaways and stuff? Yes, it was, which I didn't know it was the censored one when I watched it. And for anyone not aware of this, there are scenes in the movie that are, uh, you know, very, very offensive and very graphic sex sex scenes that um, made it essentially a NC-17 movie. And to get it in the video stores, uh, this is the only time they've ever did anything like it. I know I just said that they didn't really have the finances or interest in doing edited versions. This was their one experiment in it, and it's the only one I'm aware of that they did, that during all the graphic stuff, they would cut to um, a shot of Lloyd Kaufman visually describing and acting out by himself what was happening on the screen. (laughs) Now, the first time I saw it, I thought that was part of the movie. I did not know, and I was like, huh, that's a really interesting way to get around not having the budget for the things. And it's like, oh, no, this is like half this movie's been reshot. Yeah. Which 
I don't think I've seen that version since probably like my initial viewings of it. Yeah. Yeah. All I remember is the, uh, you know, during the scene where um, one character is going down on the other, it cuts to Lloyd eating a piece of pie. <laughs> yes. Oh, and there's also him chewing on the cardboard box. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that, that is also literally the only thing that stuck out in my mind about the censored version as well was was Lloyd Kaufman trying to reenact Cunnilingus without doing anything graphically sexual. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It was great. It was great. You know what? I think I also remember a they had his face over a man's uh, genitalia when the the guy was running around naked. Oh, yeah, when the scene of the naked fat man in Times Square. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, um, yeah, they, yeah, they're. Uh, I mean, they're they're just a special company because they really do kind of do things their own way, even today. I I mean, you know, I don't. Like, I mean, I know they haven't made a movie in a while, but, like, even, like, in their later releases, they never really, I don't know, they never really compromised. Well, I always found them, um, I thought it was interesting when you brought up about what, like, you yourself were thinking about dabbling in, um, like, doing low-budget, independent uh, filming. And while that was never anything that I've ever kind of, like, really got into, uh, I did find trauma incredibly inspiring in the way that like a really great punk rock band is that you come away with the feeling of like oh shit anybody can do this that this is literally yeah. just a group of people with you know more drive than they have skill or finances but they still decide that they're going to make a movie and they do and mm-hmm. like i always see uh like trauma which falls very much into the horror fandom, even though they're not strictly horror movies at all. They're, right. you said cult, they're a weird combination of sex, gore, and comedy is... I mean, like, The yeah. Toxic Avenger, Lloyd Kaufman likes to put out, uh, always point out, isn't a horror movie, it's a superhero movie, which yeah. it is. Yeah. And, um, like, the first movie we're going to be talking about as part of the series is an action movie. It, but, but they're just so out there that it's kind of only the horror interest that ha- uh, horror audience has an interest in them. The right. horror, horror audience is always compared to like metal in terms of like music, that it's always metal being brought up. And I always thought like punk was a way better comparison because metal, agree. the metal genre prides itself on technical abilities and perfection and really this high level of, musical knowledge whereas you know punk is just a bunch of people who can barely play their instruments just pounding out you know two minutes uh two minutes try to string a few chords together and see what happens exactly (laughs) and i've always felt that a lot of like the independent horror scene which trauma is like the big grand granddaddy of them all Mm -hmm. is that that it's not about like technical um perfection it's about passion more than and passion and irrational drive more than anything else. Yeah, I would say so. And I mean, that's true in the films that they, you know, either produce themselves, like, you know, like the one we're about to watch uh, or talk about rather. Um, and also, in, I think a lot of the times in the in the films that they curate, you know, um, and uh, distribute like like Cannibal the Musical or something like that. Now, I always thought it was like, because when I was getting into Tromo, it was also when I was getting into, uh, 
like really seriously in the punk music and the punk scene and that. Yeah. And there's also a lot of overlap on Trauma actually has like punk bands on their soundtracks, which I always thought was yeah. super cool. They have more punk bands than they do metal bands on their soundtracks. Yeah. I, um, you know, I always described myself as a metalhead, but when I think back on like the metal bands that I liked, they were ones that always got grouped in as metal, but they were like, they definitely had like less, I don't know. They were more there. The songs were a lot simpler. So I guess they were more punk rock in that spirit. Um, like I'm not, I don't know. Like I'm not, <laughs> like, I, I, I'm not gonna like, I don't know. Like I don't listen to like a lot of prog metal or anything like that i just have never been into that oh hell like trauma also has like ska bands on a lot of their soundtracks which yeah. i thought was awesome <laughs> for anyone that doesn't know i'm a huge ska fanatic yeah yeah so what's interesting i mean and I, i'm not nearly as versed on ska as you probably are um but like what i find interesting about ska's and also what I find interesting about Troma is that they have almost like this kitchen sink kind of approach to what they do, whereas they kind of just, I don't know, like it's almost, I don't know, it's almost genreless or, you know, it's it's like, you know, we'll take these it's, elements. It's really hard to pigeon down, like, 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 like what, uh, like, like, it's really hard to get exactly what slot to put Troma in. And yeah. that's. They are just kind of their own thing that you will have a movie that may be filled with like borderline, like like childish and borderline wholesome humor. And then they'll have very explicit sex scenes, very explicit graphic gore and talking about subject matter that is nothing short of distasteful. Like my introduction to trauma featured a quote unquote life affirming rape scene. Which, try to pitch that to anybody and not come across like looking like a maniac over it. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that scene. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That scene, uh, th- that's, I, you know, I was about to say that hasn't aged well, but that's not true at all. It was just as offensive when it came out as it is today. And you're either on board or you're not on board. Yeah. And context. I think context matters. You know? Yes, yes, yes. And that kind of thing. <laughs> Like, all right, I'm sorry, I just lost half the potential lead, uh, listenership on bringing that up. But in the movie, it does conte- contextually make a lot of sense and is, in fact, a life-affirming rape scene. For if you're remotely curious how that could possibly exist in the work of fiction, check out the movie Terror Firmer. It's wonderful. It is. It is. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have, uh, yeah, I have friends who, like, still text me about that movie because, like, I showed it to them once and they just never... They never got over it. <laughs> uh, so what would you say if we're like, just overall, what are your, um, oh, actually, before I ask that question, we should probably differentiate, differentiate that we've kind of made vague reference in some ways, but there's kind of two types of trauma movies. There's, yeah. there's the movies that trauma has made, and then there's the movies that trauma has distributed. That they're right. a uh, low-budget film st- studio based on New York City. And in fact, the oldest independent film studio in the world. Yeah. Which is quite the accomplishment. And the movies that they make are almost 100%, not all, but almost 100%, um, the movies they finance, when I say make, uh, almost 100% uh, directed by a character known as Lloyd Kaufman, mm-hmm. who is kind of just like good old Uncle Lloyd. He is just like the yeah. patron saint of all 
underground independent genre artists. Like everybody yes. loves everybody loves Lloyd Kaufman. Now, have, have you have you actually met him? I've got to meet him a couple times. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, I have a blurb from him where he has called my writing that he has referred to me as a modern day William Faulkner. Um, that's special. <laughs> yeah, and I, I can't stand William Faulkner, so that's quite the interesting blurb that I got. That's I tried right, reading right. Get Down Moses, and I could not. I did not understand that book at all. I'm, it's, I'm a trauma fan. William Faulkner goes over my head. <laughs> and um, when I worked at Deadlight Press, um, one of the books that I um, published there was actually optioned by Troma to be adapted that Lloyd Kaufman intended to adapt. It never happened. I kind of doubt it will. I would love to say what it is, but I don't want to on camera because the person in question is now currently um, uh, working in film media, so I don't accidentally uh, want to... I know who you're talking up. about. But I was like, you probably know who I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've never actually met Lloyd face-to-face, but I've, I've awesome. been at... Yeah, I've had some, like, interesting interactions. Like, um, so he was in a movie that I was in uh, called Apocalypse Kiss, and he plays the president. Um, And it was just some movie shot for, like, $40,000, like, in Pennsylvania, like, for, like, no money. And, um, but what was cool about it was Lloyd, he actually, um, on the days that he was shooting, he brought his own film crew, and he shot a behind-the-scenes documentary for us. Oh, wow. Yeah, and he showed it before, like, you know, before the the premiere of the actual of the actual movie like and he did a little speech about it and it was it was cool man it was uh it was a really uh really fun experience it just made made me made me realize he's just like a real dude you know yeah i've uh i've met him at a few conventions where um i've smoked a bunch of cigarettes with him where uh uh according to him he doesn't smoke his wife doesn't want him to i'm sorry lloyd if you hear this but um (laughs) uh uh, Ali knew, but uh, when she's not around, he will smoke cigarettes at conventions out back with people. Um, <laughs> and he bums cigarettes from myself and Carl to Melick the third. Uh, and uh, I was at, he was at uh, he did a screening of Citizen Toxie here in Portland cool. once at a donut shop. And I was there for that. And when the movie played, he just went out in the parking lot and just hung out for people. While the movie played inside for about two hours, and I had already, seen, you know, I owned the movie, and so I was just hanging out in the parking lot of a donut shop with Lloyd Kaufman for about two hours. Oh, that's special. It was, it was, it was a great memory, and I also uh, got to spend time with him in Portland at the uh, Portland premiere of Return to Class in Newcomb High Part One, cool. and that was the last time that I saw him face-to-face yeah so he was down here um in austin a couple years ago and he um and i guess they were doing a screening of the first toxic avenger and he came and did a q a it was cool man he was uh he's just uh had a lot of nice things to say um and and he said uh that at one point there was a remake of the toxic avenger in um that was like in talks that was supposed to have arnold schwarzenegger in it (laughs) You know that's moving forward. Um, oh, really? There was, in fact, I'm just looking it up 
right now there was some new information announced about it. Oh, just um, yeah, it was just announced in um, November of 2020. Uh, things got delayed because of the whole, you know, shutdowns over the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah. But um, uh, it's been announced that Peter Dinklage is set to star in the remake of Toxic Avenger. That's fun. That's fun. Which, that's a creative casting choice, and I am really, really behind it. Which, yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen Knights to Badass them. Oh, it's uh, made by... Uh, uh, Joe Lynch, who also oh, did yeah. um, he, Wrong he, Turn 2, right? Wrong Turn 2, which is great. Um, Mayhem, which is really good. Um, he's co-host of the Movie Crypt podcast, which is phenomenal. But he did uh, Knights of Bad Astom, which is about a uh, a LARPing event, you know, live-action role-playing, and, and it's all Dungeons & Dragons based, and they cool. accidentally summon a succubus. And that the spell book they have as a prop turns out to be a real spell book and they accidentally summon a succubus. And Peter Dinklage plays one of the LARPers who in the beginning of the movie uh, takes a high amount of shrooms. And so his character is on shrooms during the entire the chaos movie. of the movie. Oh, and it has a very much a trauma feel to it. Oh, cool. Cool. I'll have to check that out. There no, are... I, I, he's, a good, he's a good pick for the Toxic Avenger remake. Yeah. There are a few movies that get um, confused as being trauma movies, even though they're not. Um, I think the one that comes to mind the most is Street Trash. Everyone thinks Street Trash is a trauma movie. It's not, yeah. but it's the best non-trauma trauma movie. It's yeah. great. I love it, but it's yeah, it's not a trauma movie. Um, I I feel like it, now was Slime City at ever at any point ever uh, distributed by Trauma? Because oh. I feel like that gets that reputation as well, but I'm I don't think it was. Slime City, I do not believe. Um, and I'm just double checking here. Uh, like Microwave Massacre is another one, which is not yeah. a Trauma movie. Uh, Slime City is. It was not a trauma movie. Okay. All right. And yeah, it was not a trauma movie. And those movies that were bringing up very much though, like definitely pulled their influences from trauma that yeah. just like, you know, it was bring up that punk rock comparison, just like so many, uh, in the, uh, you know, seventies, so many kids saw the sex pistols play and being like, Oh shit, I can do that. And you ended up then with the damned and the clash. And yes. Yes. And then so many people saw them, it just kept spiraling outwards. But people, uh, you know, young people in the 80s seeing the Toxic Avenger and Class of Newcomb High, I'm like, oh shit, I can do this. And then you get great stuff like Street Trash and Slime City. And, yeah. well, I would not call Microwave Massacre great. I will put my foot down. That movie sucks. Yeah. Uh, do, you think, do you think we've kind of gotten away from that, you know, um, that kind of way of making movies, you know, as far as truly independent i very much feel we have and um we, we've definitely gotten away from that you know a bunch of people with just like a camcorder and then making a full like you know with just camcorder and whatever they can slap together in their garage and releasing it as a 90 minute long movie and um uh but i feel and also the type of content that Troma specialized in, that yeah. they took advantage of the fact of 
uh, fake blood is cheap and nudity is free. And so, and those are both things that people are always having an interest in watching and are kind of like cultural values, shall we say, aren't exactly in the same place as they were in the eighties and nineties. Yeah. Now, all that said, I do think you see a lot of that trauma independent DIY influence on things like um, on YouTube. And really? in fact, I've seen Lloyd Kaufman guest on a whole bunch of YouTube channels that I've watched, most notably being uh, the angry video game nerd, uh, James <laughs> Ralphie. I'm not yeah. sure if you're very familiar with him. Yeah, yeah. And, but he essentially makes like uh, short films, like vi- they're they're oh. they're 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 framed as video game reviews, but they're essentially short films with a lot. Most of them having like some sort of narrative, and doing lots of gross out humor in them. Lloyd Kaufman's actually in an episode. They do the cool. Toxic Avenger video game in one episode, and Lloyd Kaufman is the uh, is the guest for that episode. And I've, uh, but I, I see a lot of that kind of like no budget DIY experimental aspects on like YouTube and also in, uh, also on, uh, like things like Adult Swim. Like, yeah, I, I don't believe Adult Swim could have ever existed without trauma. Now, I cannot think of any time there's been a direct crossover with something of like as in Lloyd Kaufman appearing on Adult Swim show. I cannot think of any example of that, nor can I think of anyone who directly worked with Troma who made an Adult Swim show. But I do know that I've heard their various creators speak about Lloyd Kaufman and Troma being a big inspiration cool. on their work. And, uh, that seems like a good segue because I kind of wanted to get into also at some point during this to bring up like some of the notable people that have worked with trauma in the past because yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's a good, I think that's a good, I mean, the most famous one I can think of is James Gunn. But... Yes. James Gunn, the guardians of the galaxy, the, you know, one of the Marvel heads, like one of the head people in making Marvel movies came from trauma. Mm-hmm, he mm-hmm. he co-wrote the Tromeo and Juliet. Um, yeah, he, he basically ghost-wrote Lloyd Kaufman's autobiography. All I need to know about filmmaking, I learned from Toxic Avenger. Cool. He he briefly got fired from Marvel because of trauma. Yes, that's true. That, that if anyone remembers when James Gunn got in trouble for making very off-color jokes on Twitter. Those jokes were from years ago from his time at Troma, and some of them were in response to Lloyd Kaufman, which I thought was very, <laughs> very funny over the context of it. And Marvel fortunately rehired him. And oh, oh, Lloyd Kaufman does have a brief cameo in the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, he does. He does. And I remember it in the first one. I don't remember. I don't believe he's in the second, but in yeah. the first one, Lloyd Kaufman is in the prison scene. Uh, yeah, throwing things, I believe, yeah. right? Yeah. Yes. But yeah, James Gunn made it big from Troma, which is absolutely insane when Marvel announced that they were hiring him on. I was uh, desperately hoping when he did get fired that like he would take all his Disney money and just like 
basically like give us a trauma a trauma renaissance you know and just like fund this kind of no holds barred like trauma-esque kind of art again you know <laughs> oh that would have been amazing and so yeah. he got hired by dc and then he left dc and he got rehired by marvel yeah yeah so <laughs> that's funny well uh, like i always like to uh like bring up for like big names that came from uh trauma uh Trey Parker and Matt Stone of South Park fame. That's true. That's Their true. Very first movie, Cannibal the Musical, was released by Trauma. And according to them, they sent it to every distribution company before Trauma, got rejected by them all, and they had to settle for Trauma. <laughs> and and according to uh, Lloyd's little uh, piece on the, uh, on the beginning of the DVD uh, for Cannibal the Musical, like, the video stores still wouldn't carry it until uh, South Park became a thing. Mm. I, I wasn't aware of that. I yeah. do know it was, um, and I do think Chomo was right about this, the original name of the movie that they submitted it to everywhere was Alfred Packer the Musical, yeah. and Troma accepted it, but under conditions that they changed the name, which they changed it to Cannibal the Musical, which is a way better, way more interesting title. Right, and, because unless you're unless you're a, a, a fan of cannibalism in American history, uh, you know, or or a connoisseur of that, you don't know who Alfred Packer is. No, no. Yeah, and that that's probably my favorite trauma distributed movie. I would say so. I would say so. I I'm a big fan of people's uh, first things like i like seeing like where they came from and like you know in that particular movie like it's it's fun like seeing like the seeds of south park you know you can see it in the songs and everything you can hear the cartman voice at several points in the movie that's true like they're they were beginning to get their voice their funny voices they talk in down to which would later become the voices of the various south park characters yep yep um one that people don't really know about, but I always like bringing this up. Eli Roth got his start at Troma. So that I didn't know. I know him and uh, David Lynch palled around for a while, but he was. He, people also aren't aware of that uh, Eli Roth was David Lynch's personal assistant for many years. Yeah. And um, but before that, he was an intern slash production assistant at Troma. And how I first heard of. Eli Roth was, if you get the um, DVD, now Blu-ray, of Bloodsucking Freaks, it features a commentary from quote-unquote blood and guts expert Eli Roth. That's fine. And I remember getting the DVD in high school of that and wondering, who the hell is Eli Roth? Because yeah. this is about like, oh, I don't know, seven, seven to ten years before Cabin Fever even came out. Oh, really? Okay. So. They, and this, I remember finding out about later that the story was they wanted to release the DVD and give it special features, but nobody at Trauma actually really liked Bloodsucking Freaks. Lloyd Kaufman himself even says that it's the only movie he regrets distributing is Bloodsucking Freaks. It's, yeah, yeah. It's I, a lot. I, I had a film, a film teacher who, like, just any chance he got, he would use that as an example of why horror movies are bad. And I was, I would always fight him, of course, but like, yeah, that was like his go-to. I'm like, I legit like blood sucking freaks. <laughs> I'll be honest. I've actually never seen it. I, um, uh, I, it's I, a lot, dude. It's a yeah, lot. Yeah. I've heard it is. Um, it's one of those that I just, I need, I know I need to be in the right mood for it, it's, which, it's, uh, 
I have a I feeling know. we should definitely do it. The sick... Yeah. No, we, we, we need to, especially if you haven't seen it, because I'd yeah. be really curious to hear what you think. <laughs> it's kind of like the most misogynistic movie I've ever seen. That's what I've heard. Um, yeah, it's, it's, but if you go into it knowing that, and like, you know, these types of movies aren't for the faint of heart, like, it's, yeah. it's a fun one. And apparently they're at the Trilma Studios, Eli Roth was like the only person who liked blood-sucking freaks, and he was just like an intern there, and they just needed special features for the DVD, so they're like, alright, uh, do a commentary. So I remember throwing on the commentary, thinking that it was actually going to be like, behind the scenes information or analysis or that, but it's actually Eli Roth just riffing for an hour and a half of essentially making an argument that every modern day important piece of film and popular piece of film stole their key scenes from blood sucking freaks. Really? And so it's just him riffing and doing these bizarre arguments of things like, Arnold Schwarzenegger movies are actually all ripoffs of blood-sucking freaks. <laughs> and, like, the Godfather's scenes are directly influenced by this scene in blood-sucking freaks. Of course, none of this is true at all. And I remember watching the commentary and just being like, what is this guy talking about? And then years later, he's, like, one of, he's, like, the torture porn director. Yeah, now he's, he's doing uh, Borderlands. Oh, that's right. He's doing the Borderlands movie now. Yeah, yeah. That's that's wild. That's wild. Yeah. And like uh, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, his first movie was distributed by Troma. Death by Temptation. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I didn't know that was his first movie for some reason, but that's that's interesting. Yeah. The, like, there's a lot of actors. Um. Also, I wasn't aware of this. Uh, first movie that J.J. Abrams ever worked on was a Troma movie. Oh, wow. So this is like, it's almost like trauma is like, I don't know, like the, the, the generation after um, Roger Corman. Because, you know, Roger Corman yeah. had all those guys like, you know, like like James Horner and James Cameron and stuff. And now this, then trauma has all these. That's fun. That's interesting. I um, yeah. I mean, I keep, you can keep going on. Oliver Stone, Kevin Car- Costner, Carmen Electra, Marissa Tomei, um, Michael J. White, like... The list keeps going. Debbie Rashawn, the number of people that worked on trauma movies. Carmen Electra is another one I've just seen here. Vincent D'Onofrio. Uh, yeah. That so, so many people in the film industry all got their start at trauma. And it's also, I'd say, like a kind of a dirty little secret because you, for most of them, you never ever hear them ever mentioning their trauma movies. No, I don't. I God, I didn't. I didn't, I didn't even know the Oliver Stone one. That's that's really funny. Um, yeah, and but it's it's not surprising either, right? Like, I mean, because there is an ethos, you know, to these films, and I think it can be very attractive to anybody who's trying to break in. You know, um, uh, you know, t- there there could be various reasons. Like, one is like you know you'll never get a chance to do another movie like that again, you know, um, if you do take off. So that's kind of fun. And then also, like, I don't know. Do you think, like, maybe some of these people just see it as an easier gig? or, or uh, I, I know, think it's think... probably really um, that Troma was the only place that would take them. I mean, I yeah. think it's kind of, like, as simple as that, that just, like, with the Roger Corman, uh, that Troma was the only ones that was willing to take any risks uh if you had a kind of if it was 
borderline competent, and I say borderline competent, and yeah. long enough to get in a video store around 90 minutes, and they could put a title on it that sounded vaguely interesting, Chomo would essentially take any movie that they, they could get. Cool, cool. And, like, that, that specifically you don't really see anymore. Like, the closest we have to that now these days is, like, YouTube. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, one, one fun factoid about Lloyd Kaufman is, uh, he, 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 uh, graduated from Yale in the same class as, uh, George W. Bush. Yes. <laughs> Which I'm not sure you ever saw involved him being, uh, during the Bush administration getting invited to the White House because... I didn't know that. <laughs> because Bush held the, the Yale class reunion at the White House one year. <laughs> And so Lloyd Kaufman went to the White House, and there's video footage of Lloyd Kaufman being interviewed on CNN, um, uh, speaking out against the Second Iraq War and cool. George W. Bush. And they just interviewed him because he was president. They didn't know they didn't know like he was a film director or anything. They yeah. were just there covering the uh, Yale class reunion, and Lloyd Kaufman being Lloyd Kaufman, there was news cameras set up, so he gets in front of them as soon as he can. And starts espousing his leftist politics, which, uh-huh. which is another thing I love about Troma and Lloyd Kaufman is they are unapologetically leftist, like and anti-war, pro-environmentalism, anti-racism, anti-sexism, and pro-sex a, work. And I think in an interesting way, not 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 like kind of what leftism has kind of become, right? You know, I <laughs> I kind of feel like we're in a, in in some unfortunate ways we seem a little more. Uh, <laughs> interested in censorship these days you know and i don't i don't They're get not, that point at all like often i really wouldn't say is in the cancel culture at all no. i don't really no. i don't really think that's their that's their place but uh but like i first uh in terms of like film the first movies i actually saw with like trans characters in them was yes. trauma films which yes. they had trans characters in the 80s mm-hmm. and and it wasn't just like a joke of how anyone else would do it at the time of uh, any other filmmaker at the time would do it as, oh, it's not a trans character. It's a uh, it's a man in a dress. And it's like, no, yeah. trauma actually had legit trans characters, trans men, trans women. And the characters were treated as such. And yeah. it was just a part of their character. And this was in the 80s that they were doing that. Yeah. I mean, so definitely groundbreaking. I mean, and then even like with uh... – you know, I mean, even if you take something like the Toxic Avenger, like being like anti-bullying and anti and and I'm sorry, anti-bullying and like pro-environmentalism, you know, which is uh, just that's straight up what the movie is. Yeah. 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 All the villains are <laughs> bullies and it's kind of about like bully culture and stuff like yeah. that. And it's also environmentalism, which is environmentalism is probably the the political issue that is the most common scene through all of. Trauma movies. I would say so. That's Lee Kaufman's like personal, um, personal pet issue that he cares the strongest about. Yeah, it's interesting because I've seen like fan fans of the films um, who were surprised by this, that 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 you know by his politics, and I'm like, y'all y'all watch the same movies? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he is like so on the note. He's like. Like, it's not subtle in his movies about, like, where Lloyd Kaufman's political beliefs stand. And I have encountered that as well, that a few people 
very surprised to find out that Lloyd Kaufman is an outspoken leftist. Yeah. And yeah, I'm kind of right there with you of like it's it's pretty apparent in the in the movies. Like like one of the ones where the first one we're going to be talking about is all made in response to the Ronald Reagan administration and the failures yes. of the Ronald Reagan administration. Yeah, so <laughs> I think uh, I want to close this introductory episode with uh, another bit of trivia about Lloyd Kaufman, which I think this is like just such a baller move, but his uh, his his wife, uh, uh, Pat Swinney Kaufman, is the executive director of the New York State Governor's Office for Motion Pictures. Yes. <laughs> and she kind of like openly hates a lot of his movies. Really? I'm not sure if you I'm not sure yes, I'm not sure if you've ever seen them talk about it. They uh, they you know they're they're a great couple. They're very much yeah, in love. They're yeah, very was, supportive of each other. She was there at the uh the toxic toxic screening that I saw here in Austin. <laughs> she was at the uh return the return to return of class of wait, blah blah blah. She was at the return to class of Newcomb High part one premiere in Portland and I got to speak with her a bit. But he talks in uh, the commentaries a lot of the times that she kind of actively doesn't like the movies. And there's only one scene in a trauma movie that has ever been censored. And it was because of her that she said, (laughs) no, you've gone too far. You cannot put this in the movie. And he tried to argue with her, but she was one of the executive producers. And so had like, had say over it. And for anyone curious, it's a it's from the movie um, Poultry Geist that there's a close up of a fat man's asshole taking the shit. And, oh. and have you seen Poultry Geist? Yeah, it's been a while, but yeah. <laughs> and when he's taking the shit and there's a black bar over the asshole and then the black bar gets longer as the shit's coming out and then the black bar falls down that's as if like the shit's coming out of the ass. That was apparently uncensored. There's apparently an uncensored shot of that somewhere. That's that's funny. <laughs> you got to draw the line somewhere, I guess. That's where she draw the, drew the line. <laughs> All right, cool. So, uh, yeah, um, this is uh, going to be a fun podcast. This is our introductory episode. And uh, up next, we've got Troma's War.